0: Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. My name is Jay Shabbat. My colleague Ned is off this week, but he'll be back joining us next week. This week we have a very special guest. He's Madhu Unakrishnan, my former colleague with, uh, with Airline Weekly. And we're going to talk about United and Alaska Airlines, which both reported their first quarter earnings this week. Enjoy. Madhu, great to have you here again. Hey
1: Jay, it's great to be back. You know, this is—I uh, took my little left turn into into crypto media, and it's great to be back covering what I love.
0: Yes, yes, you—you—you yeah, you, uh, you can never leave the airline industry for too long.
1: No, so I realized uh, I have jet A in my veins, much jet to
0: my A in area. the veins, yes. much yes, to my it's... horror.
1: But here, <laughs> I, here we are, and thank you for having me on.
0: I'm oh, sorry. you're more than welcome. It's—it's—it's our—it's my pleasure, and uh, I'm sure uh, everyone will be, uh, yeah, excited to hear what you have to say about a topic that. I know you uh, know uh, a lot about it's uh, United Airlines, oh, and they did their earnings. Yep, this uh, this quarter um, they announced their earnings earlier this week. We're speaking, by the way, on Thursday afternoon, just for context. And uh, United, just to uh, to run the numbers, uh, so everyone has them. United on about eleven billion dollars in quarterly revenue posted a rather disappointing negative negative zero point three percent operating margin for the quarter. And just for, you know, for reference, uh, in the first quarter of 2019, so a very different world now that we live in today. But just for context, uh, United was able to produce a positive 5.3% margin. So, Madhu, any commentary uh, to start off on on why um, United is losing money all of a sudden?
1: You know, Jay, I thought you were going to have me on to talk about. Porter Critter, Mister <laughs> Mister Porter, little what? raccoon, my little raccoon friend. Um, I, I, I really would love to, but uh, unfortunately, you're making me talk about serious things. Um, so here, here's here's what was interesting. You know, Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, um, uh, right off the bat, said. And it was something that is kind of a truism, but it's something we forget is, he said, you can't run your airline like it's 2019. It's harder now. Now, I mean, Jay, you and I know that a lot of, um, you know, we've fallen into this trap. The industry has fallen into this habit of comparing everything to 2019 before the pandemic. But without sort of acknowledging that in the intervening four years, the world changed a lot. And maybe the comps are not as useful as they were. So, Kirby um you know he he said you know compa- compared with last year you know if you go to the traditional comps like the United's performance is fantastic I mean it was you know it was um several um several hundred million dollars better than it was last year than it did last year I mean <clears throat> the revenues rose 28 percent so but we have to recognize that you know last year was a weird was you know, the the pandemic and I guess, you know, what he was saying is like, you can't compare last year, you can't really compare 21. Obviously you can't compare 20 was just the first quarter was when the pandemic first began and 2019 was a completely different world. So maybe it's time for the industry to look forward and think about what the post-pandemic future is. And for Kirby, I mean, for Kirby and, and Chief Commercial Officer Andrew Bissella, um, they think that the post-pandemic world is coming into focus now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I've heard all, all, quite a few. I mean, that seems to be a common, um, you, you hear that opinion Quite often now that all right, let's stop talking about 2019. That comparison is, uh, you know, I still find it useful in some, you know, in in to in some analyses. But but uh, yeah, I do even notice that uh, all of the U.S. airlines anyway that have reported so far there's only been a couple, but um, they are no longer making any mention to 2019 in terms of uh, the the data that they give. So fair point there. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's uh, not quite as good as 2019, but maybe you know completely irrelevant because that's ancient history um much better than 2021 as you as you said and and in in fairness uh 2021 still was scarred by you know pandemic omicron was going on at the time it didn't really the u.s recovery really didn't start until q2 of 2022 so uh the comparisons start to get a little bit more fair so to speak uh next quarter um but yeah united um i mean as far as you can you know tell me if you uh if you disagree with my interpretation but uh seems like demand is still very strong um united said that you know they look into the spring and summer and things are going well
1: yeah absolutely and uh, that's absolutely true uh, the the sort of the interesting thing that Nasella and kirby said was you know pointed to the fact that q1 is historically has always been a trough right the um yes. it's a it's tough for northern hemisphere airlines the the holidays are over and um, it's the depths of winter usually, most most parts of the Northern Hemisphere. And everyone's looking towards the sp- late spring and summer when demand will spike again. So they, they see sort of a reversion to that historical norm. But one thing that's in- that they said has changed is demand is showing a different cycle. Now they're looking at the March to October period as their peak period. And Nacella said part of that is informed by... Um, the change in how people work, the rise of remote work, for example, means people um, kind of combine business and leisure trips. Uh, I hate to use this term, but
0: don't pleasure. say it. Don't say pleasure. it. Pleasure. <laughs> I said it. It's
1: pleasure. <laughs> so they, they they combine business and leisure, or maybe they you know they live in Boise, Idaho, and they're coming back to their office in San Francisco. Um,
0: You know they live in boise
1: for the the ski season and come back to san francisco or la or wherever for um for the rest of the year so that's one thing the other is that business traffic traditional business traffic has not returned to the level that they expected it to come to so you know traditionally before the pandemic in 2019 the business travel would uh, as leisure travel was was dropping off in um January and February, business travel would increase, and that that did not happen this year, at least domestically. Now there is one very very bright spot in United's um, United's uh, demand picture, and uh, ask me what it is, Jake. Ask me what what United's bright spot is.
0: What is United's bright spot my dear?
1: That is its international network. And United yes. is doubling down on its international network. In fact, um, one interesting comp that I found and I know we said not to compare to 2019, but in 2019 the international network pro- generated 43% of United's revenue and um now even with without China and we'll get to that in a second, but even without China the international network is 46 percent and then nacella expects it to grow so united is really banking on the strength of its really you know huge um international network particularly to asia pacific this are uh, the north northeastern asia and um now especially the south pacific and uh, you know united recently launched flights to christchurch and is increasing capacity to both auckland and brisbane so um Brisbane, sorry. There's a Brisbane, California. They're Brisbane, Australia. Um, so the, you know they're they're hoping some of that uh, South Pacific seasonality will offset the usual trough in Europe demand that we see in the winter.
0: And, it helps on the seasonality end, right, exactly. you know, there's, there's, and right exactly. they're kind of yeah
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Europe, I mean United is really pushing for uh, pushing its summer schedule to Europe. I mean it'll have 207 daily flights across the Atlantic in in the summer. Now think about 207 daily flights across the Atlantic. That's pretty staggering. So, um it's they're just pushing on it now um asking me about the domestic network.
0: Madhu, do. <laughs> may I ask you about the domestic network at United Airlines? Sure. Um
1: and I forgot my footnote about China. Um so China, you know, before the pandemic, China was um a huge part of United's network, right? I mean, they're multiple flights from san francisco the apple shuttle as it was called Um, now united is restricted by by the agreement with the chinese government to four weekly flights and they hope that will grow but even without that i mean the Asia pacific network grew by 300 percent year over year once again the comps 21 are not really useful because omicron was raging for the first six weeks of 22.
0: so a clear indication that it's coming back yeah next china asia's coming back strong Right now, let's get to the
1: domestic network. So United, um you know, they, they've um, parked a lot. Of, they've gotten rid of a lot of regional jets. Nasella um, said connectivity has been a problem. Now the the bank structure at its hubs is ten to twenty percent smaller than it was before the pandemic, and part of that is that they've gotten rid of a lot of regional jets, and they're waiting for their Max seven three seven Maxes to come online. So they are so as that those, those aircraft come online connectivity will increase because gauge size will increase so united's domestic network grow, but it's kind of in a rough spot right now and the second thing and you as a former florida resident will appreciate this um united seasonality was the seasonality was hurt in florida uh, because unlike many of its competitors it doesn't have a very robust network
0: in florida yeah or the and, caribbean as well
1: exactly mm-hmm. so um when when northern hemisphere or i guess florida is the northern hemisphere when cold climate um, demand drops and people look to for sun vacations united does not provide near international or florida to the same scale that its competitors do
0: yeah and historically united has always kind of been like that They've, they've peaked in the summer more than their competitors um just just the nature of their network orientation is as you said, they don't have as much Florida, Caribbean, even South America. Mm -hmm. Um, So they tend to peak more, more of an east-west network that tends to peak more in the summer. Um, I think what was a little bit unusual about this first quarter, this winter was that, uh, the, they didn't have that, as you mentioned, my dude, they didn't have that kind of business, uh, the normal level of business traffic to kind of buttress those, those off peak periods. So that's, um, you know, the question is that missing forever? Is it, is it coming back? And nobody really knows the answer to that yet. Um, It does also seem that United may have been a little too aggressive in uh, trying to capture, you know, some of that traffic that never showed up, that business traffic. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard to say, you know, if they've could have been more, you know, a little bit looser on pricing, and perhaps scooped up more leisure travel. And it it was. Um. And, and Alaska said we'll talk about Alaska in a little bit, but um, they said exactly the same thing. It was very much a January and February program. Uh. Hmm. Uh. Problem, I believe United said. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know Alaska said it. March was very profitable. Yeah. March. Did they say that? yeah? They very did not profitable. say
1: profitable. They said stronger.
0: Stronger, yeah. Right. So, so I think it's, it's very much a January and February pr- a problem. And, uh, you know, th- we'll, we'll see what they do to, to address that in the future. But, you know, honestly, if it's just a January and February pr- problem, that's not really that big of a deal. I mean, if you make it up with, you know, with, with a strong March and a strong rest of the year, that's, I think investors will tolerate that.
1: Yeah. And, and Andrew Sella did say that United is, is working to rectify its Florida problem. Yep. Um, no, didn't give any specifics naturally, but he, you know, uh,
0: I guess. It sounds compared, like, well, we know. see a little bit more capacity there, right? I'll yeah. Throw, throw yeah. some more flights down to Orlando or whatever, but uh, and yeah. they have a mm-hmm. whole
1: lot of aircraft coming on, coming along in the next few years that they have to put somewhere.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of aircraft, a lot of big aircraft. And, uh, you know, if it's one thing about Florida, you can always fill the planes. Uh, yeah. not, you yeah. don't know what yields you're going to get, but you can always fill the planes. So, so that's... Uh,
1: yeah. actually there was one little interesting nugget since you mentioned um aircraft and that is um so you know some of us who fly fly united regularly um i live in california I'm from my family lives in the east coast i often fly um united got used to during the pandemic flying domestic triple sevens with um uh, the the internationally conf- international configured triple sevens on domestic routes and that that's been a they're a nice ride as we all know um So Nasella said, uh, as as the post-pandemic future sort of shakes itself out, part of the reason they're launching these uh, South Pacific routes is that they will have the the aircraft that normally ply the the Atlantic routes in the the summer, which in the last few years were being deployed on domestic routes, will now be deployed on South Pacific routes. so that that I think was an interesting change from the way the airline had behaved during the last four years.
0: Yeah, and I think you'd rather have those big, you know, big wide-body aircraft on international with the longer yeah. stage lines. I think the economics are more, uh, yeah, geared geared to to work on those kind of stage lines. So that's that's probably probably a healthy thing for them. So yeah, any uh, any other thought? I guess there's there's one other thing I just wanted to add a more general comment about how United you know fits in with international. Uh, long haul international doing so well one kind of um thing to think about is that the u.s big three united along with delta and american um should if if, you know knowing that fact alone should perform much better than your southwest your Mm -hmm. alaskas your jet blues of the world even spirits and stuff your domestic oriented carrier shirt hauler. uh so we'll see if that's true it was in fact true during the fourth quarter I mean, if you look at the margins, I think American United and Delta uh, double digit margins, I believe, whereas everyone else was kind of kind of slow. So I don't know if that holds, you know, through the year. Um, we'll see how it's, you know, how things pan out for the, for in, in the first quarter, other carriers report. But, uh, you know, those. it's nice when, I mean, United says this all the time, too. It's not just that there are merely three carriers flying long haul international based in the U.S., but a lot of foreign carriers flying to the U.S., have cut like massive amounts of capacity during mm-hmm. the pandemic, and so a lot of that capacity's never been restored. So, you know, if you have the demand in, a, in a, you know, if you have the demand in a, in a, in a strong position, um, with all that capacity taken out, you're, you know, you're kind of in a nice position if you're, uh, you're United American Delta.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And demand has held up um, across the Atlantic, particularly as consumers yeah. still have um, discretionary income to spend. And interesting one. One pandemic trend that continues to hold true, according to Andrew DeSella, is uh, premium leisure. Yeah, so people people are splashing out on their European vacations by flying in Polaris, the business class, or premium economy, which all United wide bodies will have by the end of, I think, this year. So um, so the, this is another trend that is continuing to hold. Now, no one knows how long that will hold, given the state of the economy, and as people as consumers sort of burn down their um, pandemic-era savings, but uh, for now, it's it's it it's still trending.
0: Yeah, they were lucky because before the pandemic, they invested a lot in premium, mm-hmm. uh, you know, expanding their premium cabins. And um, they, uh, you know, a lot of the people that used to sit in those cabins, the corporate travelers, you know, they're gone. But they've been lucky in the sense that, as you said, Madhu, a lot of premium leisure passengers have kind of taken their place. So people, you know, traveling on some kind of vacation, whether it be a vacation or whether it's a you know combination work vacation, I won't I won't say the B L word pleasure
1: pleasure <laughs> on, pleasure pleasure just
0: say pleasure. <laughs> but a lot of those people are uh, are filling those seats. So yeah, in that sense, they they haven't had to take any drastic uh, you know rectifying actions, so to speak, uh, in the wake of this corporate downturn. But uh, unless you have anything else to add about United we can switch over to speak a little bit about Alaska Airlines. Okay, Madhu, we're back. And we're going to talk about- uh, Spokescritters?
1: Spokescritters? <laughs> we're not going
0: to talk about Porter Airlines and oh. raccoons, and nor are we going to talk about, I know you uh, probably have some choice words for the 747. You're, you're, you're famous for loving that aircraft, right?
1: I've come around. I think it's a beautiful machine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if uh, for those uh, of you who uh, don't know, Madhu has had some, uh, you know, less than flattering things to say about the seven forty seven, kind of pouring cold water on all the uh, the warm sentiments that uh, the industry has. Been expressing as the 747 has been put to rest, but uh, uh,
1: well, okay. So, in the interest of full disclosure, several years ago on this podcast, I called the 747 a janky bucket of bolts, and I've never gotten so much hate mail um, <laughs> in my email inbox as I did then. And um, y'all are vicious people and very loyal to your 747. So, I'm not saying anything. It's a beautiful machine.
0: I'm not going to step into that controversy. I'm just going to talk about boring stuff like Alaska Airlines and their earnings. They did report, um, actually, just this afternoon. As we're again, we're we're, uh, we're doing this call on Thursday, this recording on Thursday afternoon. So earlier today, Alaska uh, reported their first quarter results, and they weren't particularly good. I mean, it was uh, a lot, uh, a lot of similarities with United in the sense that they um, they lost money. So negative four point six operating margin for the first quarter. And um, back in 2019, if you care to make the comparison, um, they had an operating margin of positive 2.5%. So now this is an airline, um, even to a more extreme sense than United, the more extreme degree than United, uh, has trouble making money in January and February. So their first quarters historically have always been weak. Sometimes they lose money, sometimes they make a little bit of money, but it's, it's always, you know, let's let's get through January, February, and then we'll make our money. And, you know, the history of Alaska Airlines, a very, very profitable airline, very successful. Um, even last summer, their their margins were absolutely fantastic. Um, so a very strong airline. But they did, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, losses a little bit on the uncomfortable side uh, this first quarter. Um, now, uh, I know, the, I'm not sure if you've listened to the call, uh, Madhu, but... Um, any commentary on Alaska, even in general, on uh, you know how they stack up versus the competitors or, or whatnot? Well, I'm actually interested
1: in, in getting your thoughts, Jay, on um, where Alaska fits in the airline picture now that uh, you know we've got the three big carriers. We've got Southwest, which is the fourth largest carrier, or, or by some measures, the largest, who knows. Um, we've got these four enormous carriers. We've got JetBlue that's purchasing Spirit, and will vault itself into the fifth position. Where does Alaska fit into the overall U.S. airline picture now? It's not, a, I, and it's not a ULCC like it's Frontier, but it's not a full-service airline like Delta and United. So, where where does it fit?
0: Yeah, and the way you frame the the question, it might be tempted to kind of look at them as uh, you know, are they going to get caught in the middle? Are they going to be too you know, not not uh, like like you mentioned, not low costish enough to to be to be nimble and. And prosper that way. At the same time, don't have the you know the size and scale to prosper. I I don't think that's a ter- terribly uh, concerning to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alaska has a really great franchise. Um, they're just excellent position in Seattle. Now there's some questions. You know, Seattle was one of the hottest economies throughout the 2010s. There's some you know a little bit of nervousness now that maybe Seattle's day has come and gone because the tech sector is in recession. Um, I don't think there's any disputing that a lot of job losses, and Alaska's feeling that no doubt. I mean, their corporate uh, business is down because of that. It's probably down more than most most other airlines. But Seattle is more than just you know an IT hub. I mean, it is a you know fantastic tourist market in the summer. I mean, very profitable uh, leisure travel. In fact, the majority of people flying Alaska Airlines is uh, are leisure passengers. Uh, so and it's you know it's got got a vibrant economy in other respects beyond tech as well. Um, you know, you may have heard of a company called Boeing and <laughs> most of their operations are based there, if not quite headquartered there anymore. And uh, you know, your Costco's of the world and uh, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's it's a very substantial economy and they, Alaska's number one, I mean Delta's tried to, uh, you know, displace them and mm-hmm. and you know, they're, they're tough, Delta's always a tough competitor, but Alaska I think is very still to this day, that's kind of where, where their bread and butter is. Um, California has been a little tougher for them. Uh, they they have a you know kind of a modest hub in Portland as well, which I you know think is okay. Uh, so I think add the whole you know together all together, I think Alaska's, you know in a pretty still a pretty um, formidable market position. I don't think there's any concerns, particularly because you know JetBlue, uh, and Spirit. Um, if you you know you're wondering what the implications of for Alaska from that merger. I don't think a whole lot because that's still more of an Eastern carrier. I mean, you know, you get, JetBlue gets a little bigger in the West, but um, Los Angeles, but they, you know, they're not really doing too much in the Bay area. They're not doing too much. They're nothing really in Seattle. Um, like their name suggests, Alaska Airlines has a big network in, in the state of Alaska, which can, um, can be very profitable in the summers. So uh, yeah, long answer to your question, but I, I think strategically speaking, they're still, you know, they're still fine. Um, It it is, you know, it's a company too, that's, you know, very well liked by their customers Um, on the record of good customer service. Also very, very strong. And this might, you know, you would think this makes sense given where they're located, but very always on the vanguard of new technology. In fact, I think we were talking before uh, we started, you know, we put the recorder on Alaska is doing something new with their technology. I think you mentioned, right, Madhu?
1: That's right. Um, so apparently Alaska is uh, getting rid of uh, check-in kiosks, mm-hmm. which some of us are old enough to remember where it was kind of revolutionary back yeah, then. Yeah, that was
0: like a big- Remember when you didn't have to go yeah. to the yeah. agent,
1: you could actually walk up. Um, so anyway, Alaska has found that uh, a majority of its passengers come to the airport already with their boarding passes on their phones. So um, the kiosks are optimized to print out boarding passes, You know. And now they're rethinking that and we will have apparent. are testing iPads that will um, uh, and I, I Brett Snyder the cranky flyer first reported this like they're testing iPads that uh, will just be you know allow you to scan your boarding pass and print out your bag tag um, rather than printing running you through the process as you know when you go to a kiosk of trying to print your boarding pass or what you want to do. Um, and they'll be able to take these iPads. Will be able to take payment um, for people who still want a paper boarding pass. They can go see an agent. So this this is a little bit. Uh, it's the next step or the next iteration of automation in the airport, and um, it's. One of the advantages, apparently, Jay, is that uh, the kiosks. You know, if, if we all know these kiosks, they're big, bulky machines. They have to be updated by their vendor, whereas the iPads are very nimble and small and can be updated very regularly. and, no, and that's a,
0: yeah, and that's especially important to Alaska because you know Seattle is a very congested airport, and mm-hmm. they can't. I, I just flew out of there earlier this month, and uh, I mean you can see it. There's construction everywhere. There's uh, you know traffic and. And and passenger uh, people traffic and car traffic, it's uh, and they can't really expand it much. I mean, mm-hmm. over the long term, it's a real dilemma for the for the market. I mean, they don't know what to do. They opened up a uh, you know pain Field to commercial mm-hmm. traffic up up in the north of the city, uh, and Alaska is doing some flights there. In fact, they they recently added flights, which suggests that they're probably doing pretty well there. But yeah. it's you know it's small scale, it's small potatoes. So yes, I mean, any kind of technology that can help. With uh, alleviating some congestion, even on the margins, is uh, you know is, is is great for them.
1: Yeah, and so Brett said they're testing it out in uh, I believe uh, uh, a couple of airports in Alaska and in uh, I believe Boise, but the next big uh, rollout will be in in Pedia- uh, Portland, which in Portland, has, yeah, is right. what, you know their second largest hub.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, right. Yeah. eventually. The yes, I'm sure if, if everything works smoothly, they'll bring it to Seattle and. San Fran and mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And so, yeah, they're good. Um, yeah, I know so there's, there's a lot to talk about with Alaska, but I think we'll leave it there. I mean, that, obviously they, they're they getting a whole bunch of new maxes and going to a single fleet type, getting rid of their the Airbuses they inherited when they bought Virgin, and uh, they're doing more Alliance activity. Yeah, go ahead, dude.
1: Yeah, I had a question. So, um, you know, I, I, um, I've been out of the industry for a while, but like, uh, so is Alaska getting rid of its 321s?
0: Yeah, they are. They're um they're going to an all Boeing fleet. Oh okay. uh, and I believe I, I is it the end of this year, next year, I, I I don't recall off the top of my head. But uh yeah, they just decided I mean the three twenty ones, I think they like the I mean everybody liked the three twenty one. It's a great aircraft, great unit economics, but I think just the you know, the added complications, um and I mean, I'm not, not sure. sure. Right. Yeah, so so I think it just makes made sense for them to to go for a, a single aircraft type. So um and I, I, I believe they're even Acquiring some used seven three seven nine hundreds too, um, it's uh, you know when you have a seven three seven fleet that large, it just kind of makes it easier to incorporate. You know, anytime you want to go out and get one, if you see the prices right on the used market or whatever. So, yeah. So yeah. What
1: was Alaska's old uh, catchphrase back in the day? If it ain't Boeing, it ain't going. If it ain't
0: Boeing, it ain't going yet. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. Uh, sorry to see Airbus is uh, no longer in the picture. I'm sure they uh, they would. Like to have had a foothold there, but um, it is a company after all that's headquartered in uh, you know the same place as Boeing's, uh, you know, big market. So it makes sense that they would be partial to uh, the bomb. But then again, you know, Air France and Lufthansa are both big uh, Boeing customers. That's true. There, that's those. Those are Airbus. That's Airbus territory <laughs> right there. if there was uh, any Airbus territory. So okay, Madhu. Well, it was it was fantastic uh, having you back. We'll have Ned back by uh, back with us uh, next week. By the way. Um, and, uh, we have to do, you know, one time we'll have to do a podcast, all three of us together. That'd be really cool. Yeah. That's, uh, maybe, That'll be uh, yeah. 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 We'll, yeah. We'll have to arrange that. So we'll get, we'll get Seth Kaplan back on as well. We'll have like the old, uh, all, all the, uh, airline weekly old timers day,
1: old home days. Well, thank you, Jay, very much for having me on again. It was good to be back and, um, I will,
0: uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. my do. And, uh, thanks everyone for listening.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.